we are in our series, as the announcement said, in People, Places, and Things that we're doing for the month of June and July. And we've been talking about people, places, and things out of the Word of God and, and uh, about the character of God and how that relates to us in our life and living this life of faith that we are navigating on this earth. And uh, today, we're going to continue in that series. I'm going to talk to you about a thing today, and that thing is wisdom. Uh, something we all want, but something that can elude us if we're not careful. Amen. So we're going to talk about wisdom today. My text verse is out of 1 Corinthians 3. If you would please stand with me in honor of reading God's word together. It'll be on the screens if you don't have a, a Bible with you. Chapter 3, verses 18 to 20. It says, Do not deceive yourselves. If any one of you thinks he is wise by the standards of this age, he should become a fool. Everyone say, become a fool. <laughs> we all want to be that, right? So that he may become wise. Now, if we got... An, an, an objective with that, it's not as big a deal, it's not as hard to become that fool. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. The title of my message today is Acting the Fool. Would you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that we have together, Lord. What an unbelievable blessing and privilege to come into the house, to be able to worship together, to study your word together, to be in community, God. We thank you for this incredible opportunity. We know it's only because of you and your mercy and grace in our lives. So I pray that you would do your work in our hearts today for everyone in this room and all those watching online, that you would receive the glory and it would be for our good. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. And everyone said, amen. amen. God bless you. You can be seated. So acting the fool. Anybody ever had your mama say to you, stop acting the fool? Stop playing the fool, whatever it is. Some of you with kids might have found yourself saying it because your mom said it to you. Uh, you know, it's a made-up phrase. I think it's probably more prevalent in the South, acting the fool. In fact, to really do it right, you probably have to say it with a Southern accent, and I don't really have that, so I'm not going to try to attempt it because my kids will make fun of me for weeks. Uh, but what we know is that it is not a compliment, right? If somebody says, stop acting the fool, that means that you are being foolish, that you are not taking something seriously or you're using poor judgment in a situation, right? And nobody, but nobody wants to be a fool. In fact, if we were to write our own eulogy for ourselves that was going to be read at our funeral, none of us would probably use the term fool in there because none of us want to be that. It's actually a pretty harsh term to say to somebody that you're a fool or you're being foolish. It's a, in fact, it's a really harsh term and no one wants to be that way yet. The Bible tells us clearly in my text verse that we should become a fool. Now, that's not the kind of fool that your mom called you when you were acting lasciviously, right? The Bible talks about that kind of a fool too. In fact, the Bible says in Psalm 14:1, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. So not believing in God according to the word of God is foolish. That's not the kind of fool that Paul's telling us we need to be. Or the kind of fool that says, I believe in God, but doesn't really live an exemplary life. That kind of does their own thing, says one thing and does another, right? That would also be considered the foolish kind of person that we are not looking to be. And so for the sake of my message today, what I would like to, when I say we need to be a fool, we're gonna use the term a godly fool. I believe that's what Paul was talking about here, that we would be godly fools so that we can become wise. There is an, there is an aspect of being a fool in the world that is actually good in the eyes of God, that will actually bring wisdom into our lives, that God desperately wants us to have. And this is how we become wise. 
Now, we, won't, we don't have perfect wisdom. We're not talking about being perfect, right? We're not talking about having it all together in a perfect way because that's not even possible for us. The only perfect wisdom is the wisdom of God. He's the only one that has perfect wisdom, and there's no way for us to attain that. In fact, the Bible tells us we can't even grasp it, the wisdom that God has. You know, the, the doxology, many of you maybe had this read to you in, in church growing up or, or had it prayed over you, or maybe you sang songs that say this in it, but out of Romans 11, verse 33, we start the beginning of that starts the doxology, and it says, oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom of God. In other words, all we can say is, oh my goodness, when we think about God's wisdom. He's so wise, his, his wisdom, his knowledge so far exceeds anything we could ever have that we can't even grasp it. All we can say is, wow, wow. And see, we all wanna be wise, right? No one wants to be a fool, we wanna be wise. We, wanna, we like the idea of having wisdom, you know, because it's about being distinguished. You know, uh, men, we let our beards go gray and we let our hair go gray a little bit because it, it gives off the impression that we have wisdom. Right? If I shave my beard, I look like my 16-year-old son. And that does not, a 16-year-old in wisdom are usually opposites, right? And so we want to have that look of wisdom, but we also need to have the heart of wisdom. We need the actual wisdom that only comes from our God. And James 1 actually tells us that God wants to give us wisdom. It says if any of you lacks it, all you have to do is ask. And it says that he gives generously. Let me tell you, God giving anything generously, that's a good thing. That tells, that's the visual of my cup overflowing when God gives something generously. He wants us to have it, he wants us to ask for it and to seek it in our lives. And I heard a pastor not too long ago kind of give a definition of wisdom that I thought was really, really good and so I, I've kind of framed it and crafted it, morphed it into my own uh, definition that kind of goes along with it, but wisdom has three parts to it if we're gonna have wisdom in our life. And the first part is that you have to have information. And you can't be wise, have wisdom in a situation if you don't have the facts, if you don't have the information about that situation, right? So we have to start with having information. Next, we have to have insight. It's not enough to just have the facts about a situation. You also have to have some discernment. You also need to be able to understand the information that's given to you. If you don't understand it, there's no way to have wisdom in that situation. So you have to have information, you have to have insight, and then you have to have intention. You have to be deliberate, you have to be intentional, you have to be dedicated, have commitment, and resolved to actually do something in a situation. Wisdom is not just standing back and being smarter than everybody else and looking distinguished, it's an action that we have to do. Wisdom requires that we inject wisdom into the situations into our lives and have the backbone to be able to do what we know with the information we have and the insight we've been given about that information. Godly wisdom is really the same thing. The only difference between regular wisdom and godly wisdom is the objective. You know, with regular wisdom, we really do. We, wanna, we want that distinguished. We want people to respect us. We want to feel like we are people that people would look up to, right? It's good to be wise. But with godly wisdom, the objective is different. It's not about us anymore. It's not about us just getting respect and, and, and accolades and things like that. It's actually about fulfilling his purpose for our life, which is about fulfilling the purpose that God has for us, which is, as I say a lot, not just for us, it's also for other people, and it's for building the kingdom of God. So godly wisdom is about building his kingdom. 
It's a blessing to us, but it's also a blessing to everyone that would be in our life. And so we go back to my definition. It's the same three parts, just has a little different focus to it. We still need to be informed. We still need the information. But the information is about knowing God. It's about knowing the character of God. We don't just want any information. We need the information that is the character of God in our life. Proverbs 9:10 says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So it starts with the fear of the Lord. It starts with information. It starts with knowing your God. The fear of the Lord, that word is really means reverence. It means being in awe and having a, a healthy respect for God. You can't respect and revere someone you don't know. You have to know him to be able to even have the fear of the Lord in your life. So we start with the information and then we move into insight. We still need insight to have godly wisdom, but this insight isn't just our own discernment. This is Holy Spirit discernment in our life. This is about being led by the Spirit. So we know God and he gives us his spirit that gives us discernment in situations to be able to have wisdom in those situations. And often we think that wisdom competes with the leading of the Spirit. Like you can't do both at the same time. You either use, you know, use some wisdom in your life or you really let the Spirit of God lead you. It's not true at all. The Spirit of God is what leads us in our wisdom. Now, you don't have to necessarily think that every thought that comes into your mind is from, the word, is from God. Not everything that you think is from God, no matter how close to him you are, right? And when you're younger in your faith, the Lord speaks to you a little more even about situations that Maybe he won't speak to you about as much later in life because our relationship with God is very similar to a parent's relationship with a child. When your child is born and, he's a, and it's a baby, you have to do everything for that child, everything. That child depends on you for every last thing in their life. And as they get a little bit bigger and they can walk, suddenly they don't need you for quite as much. They still need you for most things, but they don't need every little thing in their life, right? And then they become adolescents and then they're outside playing. And when they're first outside, you have to hold their hand if you cross the street with them. You can't tell they let them cross the street on their own. As they get a little older, then you tell them you have to look both ways before you cross the street, but you can actually let them do it on their own. And as they get older and older, they need less and less of your input in every little situation, but it's not because they don't need you anymore. It's because of the wisdom you've imparted into their life. And it's the same in our relationship with the Lord. When I was newly saved, when I was brand new in my faith and really going after Jesus with all my heart, I felt like every time he prayed, every time I prayed, I just felt God leading me somewhere or answering my prayers or every time I opened my Bible, I would just, man, stuff would just jump out. I was like a sponge just absorbing all of it. But it was because I was so young in my faith, I needed the Lord's direction in every little thing. And now as I've grown in my faith, he's imparted that wisdom into me and given me discernment in situations. Now we still need his leading and we still seek him, but there's, they're not competing against each other, the leading of the Spirit and having wisdom. They actually work together in our life. And then thirdly, we need intention. And the intention when it comes to godly wisdom is about living it out. It's living it out. So we start with knowing him, then we're led by his Spirit, and then we're living out this faith in our life. Those are the three parts that, that need to be in our life to have godly wisdom. James chapter three, verse 17 says, the wisdom that comes from heaven, this is the wisdom from God, lived out in your life, this is how it looks. It's first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, 
impartial and sincere. That's wisdom lived out in your life, godly wisdom. Notice there's nothing in there about being right about everything. There's nothing in there about being argumentative and mean-spirited and us against them, right? It's about being sincere, it's about having good fruit, loving peace, being submissive. It's all of those things. That is what it looks like lived out in our life. And we are called with godly wisdom in our life to inject that wisdom into every area of our life as God gives us the wisdom. Because here's the thing, and we all know this, wisdom will keep you out of a lot of trouble, won't it? Having wisdom, the more wisdom you have, the more trouble you can avoid in life. I wish I had the wisdom today that I had, that, uh, that I wish I had the wisdom when I was 16 that I have today. Because I got a lot of bad situations when I was 16 years old. Because I didn't have wisdom, because I thought I was bulletproof, because I thought nothing can happen to me. That's why you can pass a car going around a blind corner, because nothing can happen to me. Right? And then you end up running off the road because a car did come. You know, Just finding yourselves in all kinds of situations that wisdom would say, how could you possibly think that that's okay? We need the wisdom that helps keep us out of so many difficult situations in our life. I mean, there's things I don't like about getting older. You know, I don't like that my bones seem to crack every time I stand up now. And that if I look at a glass of sweet tea, I seem to gain a pound. I don't like that, that I can't eat spicy food right before bed or I have heartburn, you know? Because I'm, I'm used to, I still think I'm 18 and I can slam six soft tacos and go right to bed, you know? I don't like all that, but I do love the fact that the wisdom in my life has grown. And that I feel like I get out of, I miss, I avoid, I should say, so many unhealthy situations just because of the wisdom God's put in my life and growing from the situations in my life. That's his heart for us, that we would grow in that wisdom. Proverbs 4, 7 tells us what wisdom is or what, what it, the approach we need to take in our life. It says wisdom is supreme. That word there means the best. It's the choice thing to have. Therefore, get it. Get it. Oh wait, so I don't have to just wait and let God just give it to me and it's not just gonna come as I get older? I know plenty of people that have grown, that are older than me that don't necessarily have a lot of wisdom. Nobody in this room, but <laughs> in other places outside of this property. And it says, though it costs all you have, get understanding, get wisdom. Wisdom is supreme. I used this analogy in the first service. If you were wanting to buy a puppy, and you've called a breeder and you said, hey, when your dog has puppies, I want first pick, I'll pay whatever it takes, right? And so they have puppies, they call you, they say, come on, look, you're gonna go and you're gonna look over those puppies and you're gonna pick the one that looks the best, the cutest, has the best personality, all the parts in the right places, everything's just right the best color pattern, all that thing, you want the pick of the litter, right? If you're picking out characteristics and traits that God wants to give you in your life, according to Proverbs 4, wisdom is the pick of the litter. It is supreme. And he says, go and get it. But here's the thing, it costs. It has a cost to it. It's not just a quick prayer to say, God, give me wisdom. I know James 1 tells us, if you need wisdom, ask for it, and God gives it. He does, but it doesn't come without a cost. And, the, and, and the, the writer of Proverbs says, if it costs all you have, it doesn't matter, still go get it. It's that valuable in your life. It's absolutely that valuable. And because there's a cost, it seems like, and I, I think you would probably agree with me, that godly wisdom is becoming less and less prevalent in our society. I, I see it, I feel it, I notice it. That when you are needing wisdom in a situation and you think of who you can go to to get that wisdom, sometimes the pickings are slim. 
And I have a theory for that. I think, there's a, I think the Bible tells us, shows us why that is the case. I believe that one of the biggest challenges we have to having godly wisdom in our society today is the fact that we live in a civilized society. Because let me tell you, in a civilized society, nobody but nobody wants to be a fool. Nobody. That's the opposite of civilized, right? I mean, in fact, somebody's acting foolish, one of the things you can say to them to correct them is, hey, would you act civilized, please? Nobody wants to be a fool. In fact, you wanna see somebody's claws come out? Call them a fool, right? If you're at church or you're at a party or you're somewhere with your spouse and when you leave to go home and you get on the road and your spouse looks at you and says, what you said back there made me look like a fool, can I tell you, you are going to pay for that. <laughs> and you should. I speak that from experience, folks. Okay? I've had a lot of Yankee that has had to get delivered out of me over the last 22 years, okay? Um, it's been a while since I've heard that, but probably not as long as I'd hoped it had been since I've heard. But I'm telling you, if, if you make somebody feel like a fool, you're gonna pay for it because nobody wants to be considered a fool. But the Bible is clear. My text verse is very clear that being a godly fool precedes wisdom. So to really have the wisdom that God wants to give you in your life, you have to be willing to embrace foolishness, godly foolishness in your life. But we don't want that. How many times have we not done something we felt the Spirit of God prompting us to do because we didn't want to look like a fool? How many times have you not shared your faith with a friend, a coworker, a family member that you know needs to hear it, the Spirit of God is even prompting you to do it, your heart starts beating, you don't do it because you don't want to look like a fool? Now, we would say, well, I just don't want to make them uncomfortable. Baloney. We're afraid they're going to reject us. You know why they would reject us? Because they think what we're saying to them is foolish. Why don't we forgive somebody that hasn't asked our forgiveness that really doesn't deserve it in the world's eyes because we don't want to look like a foolish doormat where someone would say, wow, I can't, let you, I can't believe you let them get away with that. We don't want to look foolish. Or you don't make life decisions, big life decisions where it's, you know, you feel like the Lord's telling you to quit your job and start your own business and you don't want to do it because you don't want to look foolish because you have such a great job with great benefits and people even in the church sometimes will say, well, that's foolish. So we miss out on the wisdom God wants to give us because we're not willing to be godly fools in our life. So the question is, are we willing to be fools? If we are, we need to know what that looks like. Right, before we answer the question, like, you know, if I ask you to raise your hands, you're willing to be a godly fool, you probably all raise your hands, but you really need to know what that looks like. You need the information, and then you need the insight, and then you need the intention to live it out. So let's look at what it, looks like to be a godly fool, acting the fool in the most spiritual sense possible. First of all, we have to walk the walk. It's walking the walk, not just talking the talk. And many of us get tripped up right here because if we're honest with ourselves, we all know that it can be a struggle to live out our faith daily. It's challenging to live out this faith. And part of the reason, the biggest reason, is because the only force in the entire universe that is helping you to live out your faith is the Holy Spirit in you. He's the only one. Every other force, every other entity in all the universe is working against you living out your faith in a biblical way, the way God wants you to live it out. So everything else is working against you. Everything else would say to you, don't be foolish. Don't be a zealot, right? Don't be a religious nut. Just let your faith kind of be that thing that, you know, it's just kind of your thing that you just kind of do 
but don't push it onto anyone else or don't really be radical, right? There was a day and time where people of faith were considered noble and admirable. It was to be admired if somebody had faith, right? For years, I don't know, I haven't looked this up, but I know for literally decades, Billy Graham was the most admired person in the United States. I think even in the world, maybe for a season. Mother Teresa was too for a while. These people of faith, those days are over where you're admired for being this person of faith. Now they actually will call you a fool. And so what happens is that causes us to not, li not really walk out our faith the way we know we should walk it out outside of a building like this with a, surrounded by a bunch of other Christians. And so what we do is our faith becomes this thing where we bought the lie where your faith should just be this private thing for you. That's your thing, right? It's all relative. It's a private thing. And so we allow it to stay private where we don't really live it out loud. We don't walk it out in a way that shares the love of Jesus with our, with our world and not even really sharing it with ourselves and really digging into our relationship with him. And so when our faith becomes something that's private and we've allowed society to kind of press it down, eventually that faith becomes dead faith. You can't carry on like that and thrive in your faith. It becomes a dead faith over time. There's no way to not let it become that, church. You can't do it. If you are not living out your faith, if you're not walking the walk and living according to the precepts of the word of God, your faith will eventually be dead. At the very best, it will be dormant, which is basically the same thing. I guess dormant's a better word because dead faith, it's never fully dead. It's always able to be revived in our life but it will become completely dormant in our life. And you can't expect the wisdom of God in your life if your, life is, if your faith life is this thing that's private and you've allowed everyone else to dictate how you live it out. You know, if I say I love weightlifting and I did it one time and I, and I lifted weights and I tell everybody how much I love it and, and how much it's just such a great thing and it's my favorite thing in the whole world, but I never do it. And then finally one day I go and do it and I put 300 pounds on the bar and I try to bench press it. I'm gonna have a 300 pound bar on my chest begging somebody to come help me so that I don't die. We can't, we can't push up this 300 pound faith if we're not living it out every day. There's just no way to do it. And we can't fool ourselves into thinking that we're gonna have the wisdom that God wants us to have when we're not living this faith, when we're not walking it out. Matthew 7, 21, a very, very, this is not an encouraging scripture. This is actually a very scary scripture. The words of Jesus himself, he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my father. In other words, only he who walks the walk. Not just talks the talk. Not everybody, talking the talk is the one who says, Lord, Lord. He says, those people, not all of them are going to heaven. It's the ones who actually walk it out, who do the will of my father in heaven. So this is even a salvation issue when we talk about walking it out, but it's also a wisdom issue. You cannot have the wisdom that God wants you to have if you're not walking out this faith. And it has become an epidemic in society. In the Christian world, it's an epidemic. It's called cultural Christianity. Maybe you've heard the term. In fact, I preached a couple messages a little over a year ago that it were called unsaved Christians because it's an epidemic in our society where we have too many of us in the church, we know how to act, we know the routine, we know how to do Christian-y things, but we don't really walk out this faith according to God's word and living it according to how God would call us to live it out. And it's not doing anybody any good because what we're doing is we're become cowardly conformists. 
And I know that's a harsh term, and I'm not pointing any fingers, but church, I'm here to speak the truth. The truth of God's word. And I, I, we want people, we talk about it all the time, we want people to come in here and feel comfortable in our church. But if you're far from God or you're living away from the word of God, I want you to be squirming in your seat <laughs> with the love of Jesus, okay? <laughs> Conviction is something that when we respond to it, it changes our life. So I'm not here to make people feel bad, but I am here to speak the truth. And we don't need to conform because, can I tell you today, a church that conforms is an irrelevant church, completely irrelevant church. And it, it, it's all over the U.S. It's all, it's everywhere. We've become irrelevant as a church, and you guys know this. If you watch any news, you pay attention to anything, you know the church in the United States, for the most part, is irrelevant in our society. Now, God's still moving, God's not dead, Jesus is still on the throne, there's good things happening, there's people getting saved, we've seen people get saved here in the last couple months. There's good things happening. But what I'm saying is, as a whole, we have become somewhat irrelevant, we've become somewhat of a punchline, because we believe the lie that our faith needs to be private, we just need to shut up, we're not living our faith out loud, and I'm not talking about arguing on social media, I'm not talking about trying to win arguments and win, win social battles, I'm talking about kingdom battles, I'm talking about loving people with Jesus' love that is in us and through us, and being people of compassion, and being people that just overwhelmingly love other people, but it's with the love of Jesus and in the name of Jesus. And because we're not doing that, we become irrelevant. We have got to walk the walk. Hebrews 12, two to three. It says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. It's just another way of saying, let us walk the walk. The author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who had endured such opposition from sinful men, so that, everyone say, so that. That is the same way of saying because, or, or so, because of this, you will not grow weary and lose heart. Fixing our eyes, walking the walk with Jesus. And he's saying if that's what we need to do so that we don't grow weary and lose heart. Listen, I'm a pretty simple guy. I'm really practical. I, I don't, I don't, I'm not a theologian by any means. I, I do study the word and I feel like I know the word, but what I know from this verse is a very simple deduction for me is that if fixing my eyes on Jesus keeps me from growing weary and losing heart. If I don't fix my eyes on Jesus, if I don't walk the walk, that is the recipe for growing weary and losing heart. It's really that simple. We try to find other ways around it, but the reality is walk the walk so that you don't grow weary and lose heart. I mean, it's not rocket science. I mean, the, the, we're, we're supposed to be fools. You can't be a fool and be a rocket scientist, at least not an intellectual fool, right? That's God's plan for us, is that we would fix our eyes on him. So the question is, where are you looking? Where are you looking? He says, eyes on Jesus, where are you looking? When I was preparing this, it reminded me of a, a situation about 25 years ago. I, was, I just finished up a discipleship school that I was in as a student out in Colorado, and I was coming home, and I bought my plane ticket. I was packed and ready to go. This was back before e-tickets. You actually had the paper ticket that they had to tear. And I had it, and I couldn't find it. And I was looking for it and I remembered, I was like, I put it in a book and I, was, I had this book and I was looking in it and I didn't find it in there. So I'd go look a couple other places and I'd come back to the book and I'd look again and I'm shaking it. I'm like, it's got to be in there. It's stuck to a page or something. And I'm looking and I went back and looked for it somewhere else. I came back to the book and all of a sudden it was like the Lord spoke to me and said, you're looking in the wrong place. 
Stop looking in the book. It's not there. And just like that, I mean, this was 25 years ago and I still remember like yesterday. Just like that, I heard it in my head, look in the zipper pocket of your suitcase. Went over, unzipped it, pulled the ticket out. Now you might think, well, the Lord doesn't do that kind of stuff. Let me tell you something. He is an ever-present help in a time of need. And he will speak to us. I know it was him. I have no doubt because I had no thought of even looking in that zipper. Because I don't think I ever even used it. I, don't even know. I think the Lord put it in there. just so I'd have to listen to him. <laughs> but it wasn't in the book. Whatever you're looking at, if you're not looking at Jesus, you're looking at the wrong place. So what are you looking at in your life? Are you looking, when you're wanting that wisdom in your life, are you looking at education? Are you looking at intellect? Are you looking at social media to get your wisdom? Are you looking at news or other people? Can I tell you today, if you want the wisdom of God, it's about walking the walk and keeping your eyes fixed on Jesus. It's really that simple. I wish there was some quick formula where we could just say a couple things and do, do a few things and we just had it, but that's not it. It's a daily walk with him. You gotta walk the walk. We also gotta worship when it's not easy. Worshiping when it's not easy. You know, worshiping when things are good is not always easy for some people. Worshiping when things are not easy is almost impossible. But wisdom comes from worship. And it's not the act of worship. It's not like, oh, if I lift my hands and I sing a song to Jesus, all of a sudden wisdom is just gonna get poured into me. It's not like that. It's about the position of your heart. Because see, worship is about the heart. Now there's outward expressions of worship. I love when we come in, I mean, one of, one of the greatest privileges in your life that you'll ever experience is being able to come together corporately worshiping Jesus together. It's unbelievable. It's, it, we, we don't even have any, most of us don't even have an understanding of how difficult a thing that is in so many places around the world where you could get put in prison, killed, persecuted, all kinds of things if you come together corporately in worship. We have this freedom to come together and there's power in it. I mean, you, I know some of you feel it sometimes on a Sunday morning when we're, when we're worshiping together, there's just, you could just sense the pleasure of God. And what it does is it lines our heart up with his. See, because we worship all the time, right? And you worship, you cannot worship what you don't trust. You can't worship anything or anyone that you don't trust. The reason the almighty dollar is the almighty dollar that so many people in our country worship is because it's where their trust is. You can't worship something you don't trust. But if you trust that, you know, if I have money, that when I need that money and I get in a situation where I need money, I trust that that money is gonna be there for me and it's gonna be like a warm hug and it's gonna be what I need. And we put our trust and our faith and our hope in it and we really end up worshiping it. I mean, we're not throwing cash down on the floor and bowing down to it, but worship is just giving something worth. It's, it's trusting it above yourself is what it is. That's what worship is. And so we are called to actually trust and worship our God above all else. And can I tell you today, I believe the day is coming. In fact, some would say it's already here where we will be considered completely foolish to trust in God, to really trust in him, not just give lip service, but to really live a lifestyle that backs up what we say when we trust in God. I'm already seeing it constantly. Some of you probably are too. I saw something this week that broke my heart. I was watching a, a huge channel on the television and somebody was talking about, they had these pundits on there talking, and one of them was talking about something that happened last week, I think, that a couple people, I'm not gonna give details, but a couple people had stood up for their faith. They did something because of their faith in Jesus, and they said out loud that we're doing this because we, 
believe in Jesus and we believe this is what he would want for us and it wasn't anything offensive or argumentative or, or mean-spirited, it was actually beautiful and if I told you guys what it was, you would all say, yes, praise God. And these pundits on this show were destroying these guys, calling them slurs and names and saying that they were hiding behind this fake voodoo religious baloney and everybody on there was nodding in agreement. I, it, was, it broke my heart, but that's where we're at. Like basically these guys are fools for doing this. Staying behind this, this Jesus guy that died 2,000 years ago. Don't even, not even sure if he's real. And it's becoming ever more increasingly obvious that that is where society is going. But, so we have to be okay with being called fools. Have to be okay with that. I go back to my beginning thing. In civilized society, nobody wants to be a fool. And if you don't want to be a fool, if that's a, if that's a core priority in your life, then you could say goodbye to godly wisdom. Because it doesn't, it doesn't, they can't coexist where you cannot be a fool and still have the wisdom that God wants you to have. It's very, very plain and simple. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12, 10, he said, that is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Will we delight in insults? Will we, will we delight in being a fool? That's a tough one, isn't it? Because again, none of us want to be a fool. You might say, well, I'm, I'm not there. I'd like to be there. I'd like to say, I'd like to get to where I can delight in it like Paul did. Some of you might say, I don't want to be there and I don't plan on being there. There's not much I can say if that's your heart. But if you want to actually be where Paul is, because Paul was a human being just like us, had the same spirit living in him that we have in us, we can live that out too. But what does it take to get to that place in our life? I think this verse is very, very clear. It tells us exactly what it takes to get to that place. He said very clearly, it is for Christ's sake that I delight in those insults. It is for Christ's sake that I delight in being called a fool. See, when your life is about the sake of Christ and not for yourself, then you can rejoice in being called a fool. And then you can set yourself up for the godly wisdom that he wants you to have in your life. But there is no other way, church, there's no other way to get around that. There's no way that you'll ever get to where you can genuinely say, yeah, I delight in those things. I like it. It doesn't even bother me when people insult me because of my faith because I know that my life is for the sake of Christ. The only way to get there is to say and to believe with your heart that it is for the sake of Christ that I am doing everything that I am doing. In Acts 5, one of my favorite passages in all the Bible, this is when the church was brand new, right? Totally just getting started. The apostles were going through Jerusalem and they were raising all kinds of havoc because people are getting saved like crazy. People are getting healed, delivered, set free, raised from the dead. I mean, stuff is just happening like crazy and it's chaos. And the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders are frustrated. Bible actually says they were jealous of the apostles, so they arrested them. And they went through a series of things and eventually they decided that they were just gonna flog these guys and tell them not to do what they were doing anymore. And so they flogged them. And if you know what a flogging is, it is, a, it is a really harsh beating that they got. Many people died from a flogging. They got this horrible beating and let them go. And in verse 41 of Acts 5, I love it. Read this with me. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Suffering disgrace for Christ's sake. Church, the only way you're gonna rejoice for suffering is for the sake of Christ. That's the only way. 
And that's a hard place. That's a place for your heart to be, and it's something only God can do in your life. Do you know they were performing miracles, doing all kinds of crazy stuff, and seeing people healed and set free, delivered, all these wonderful things, all these incredible miracles that were going on during this time. Can I tell you the greatest miracle in the book of Acts is the miracle of rejoicing in suffering. That's the greatest miracle you'll ever see because that is absolutely impossible apart from the Spirit of God in you. To rejoice to suffer for Jesus. Not to say I rejoice, not to give lip service and say, oh, praise God, hallelujah, I'm just suffering for Jesus, when you don't really mean it, but you're just saying it because you know it's the right thing to say, but to genuinely rejoice, greatest miracle in the history of the world. Greatest miracle in the history of the world. Can I tell you today, in this church, I desperately, Joy and I, we desperately wanna see God perform miracles in this place. We wanna see healings. We're praying for multiple people in our church right now for physical healing, needing a touch from God, and we are believing wholeheartedly for it. We're believing for financial miracles for people. We're praying for people for restoration of marriage and, and health issues and all kinds of stuff, and I want it desperately in this place. But can I tell you what I want even more than that is the miracle of rejoicing in being a fool for Jesus. That's what I wanna see, and because if, if we see that, I promise you the other miracles will follow it. Because that sets our heart up in a place that God, he wants to come in and bless in situations like that. He wants to do the work. Don't kid yourself in thinking that God was just doing these miracles because the church was brand new. He was doing it because the apostles' hearts were in the right place. He was following, these things will follow those who believe. They follow, the miracles follow that. So the biggest miracle we can have is to genuinely say, yes, my life is yours, Jesus. Everything about my life is yours. No matter what happens, I'm gonna rejoice in you and I'm gonna do it from my heart. Because when we do that, man, does that set us up for success. And can I tell you, if we're not doing that, if we're not seeing people experiencing that miracle in life, we are failing. We are failing because that's more important than physical healing. Because the reality is, you get physically healed, you're still gonna die one day. We need, the, we need the miracle of wanting to live this life for Jesus. Not just what he can do for us, but giving everything we are to him and saying, God, Christ, Jesus, whatever you need from me, my hands are yours, my feet are yours, my heart is yours, my brain, my mind, everything I am is yours. That's a miracle that I can really get excited about in life. All right, third and finally, and I'll finish up with this, waiting well. If we're gonna act a fool, we have to wait well, because you know what, waiting well is foolish in the world's eyes, even in a lot of Christians' eyes, waiting well. To wait for something that you know you could probably figure out on your own and go get. You know, Abraham was supposed to wait for the promised son from Sarah, couldn't wait. He said, well, I can make this happen, so he went with, his, with uh, Sarah's servant, Hagar, and Ishmael was born, right? You've heard the term creating an Ishmael in life. Waiting well is very difficult, even for people that love God. It can be very challenging to wait well. But using wisdom in waiting gives us hope. And all of us want hope. Proverbs 24, verses 13 and 14, it says, Eat honey, my son, for it is good. Honey from the comb is sweet to your taste. Know also that wisdom is sweet to your soul. Praise God. If you find it, there is a future hope for you and your hope will not be cut off. All of us want hope. Wisdom brings hope even as we wait for the things of God. Waiting can breed hopelessness in our life, right? 
How many times have you found yourself thinking, man, if I just knew when the waiting was gonna end, I could wait so much better, right? The worst part about waiting is not knowing, right? If you're like, I know, if God told me like, okay, I'm waiting to get married, but in five years, this is how it's gonna happen. Okay, I can wait five years, whatever. You know, my job situation, if God told me, you know, like just hang on for another year and then this is gonna happen, you're gonna get a raise, new job, everything's gonna be wonderful, I can wait a year. We can wait as long as we know what's gonna happen. The worst part is not knowing. But I, Peter Warren actually said this yesterday when he was here speaking to the men, and I thought it was so profound. He said, don't let what you don't know keep you from what you do know. Because that's what it does. We let what we don't know keep us from what we do know, which is that we can wait well. We can know that God, our God is faithful. We know that he is worthy of our trust. We know that we can wait patiently for him because he's never let anyone down in the history of the world. He's not about to start with you. So we can trust him. And what, when we focus on what we do know, the things we don't know become a little smaller in life. And that's his plan. And that's his desire for each of us. I love the story of David. If you know me, David, King David is one of my favorite characters in the Bible because of so many things, but just his heart after God. The Bible tells us that he was a man after God's heart. And you see it. He made so many mistakes. He did so many stupid things, but he still had a heart after God. I'm like, ha, that's me. <laughs> I do a lot of stupid things, but I still have a heart after God. And I see God's faithfulness in his life. And you know, he was anointed to be king. He had to wait 15 years to actually take the throne. And the king that was in place then was trying to kill him because he knew that he was gonna lose it to David. So Saul tried to kill him multiple times and David gets to where he's in Saul's camp and Saul was asleep with all of his soldiers and David's commander said, let me kill him. It'll be over today, you will be the king by tomorrow morning. And David says, don't touch him. He said, who am I to touch the Lord's anointed? And look what it says, what he actually did instead in 1 Samuel 26, 12. It says, so David took the spear and water jug near Saul's head and they left. No one saw or knew about it, nor did anyone wake up. They were all sleeping because the Lord had put them into a deep sleep. <laughs> Can I tell you today, God is gonna test you while you wait. He will test you while you wait. Don't believe the lie that God doesn't test us. He tests all the time. And he will test us while we wait. No one on the planet would have begrudged David if he stuck a spear right through Saul's head because of everything that had been going on. David said, nope, I'm gonna wait for the Lord's timing. He will test us while we wait. And the proof of our faith, church, the proof of your faith and my faith is not for the waiting to end, it's patience while we wait. That's the proof of faith. Can you wait well? Because if we, because wisdom will help us to wait well. I didn't wait well when I was younger. I wait a lot better now because I know, I've seen enough of God's faithfulness in my life to know that if there's something that I want that I'm believing God for, that I even believe came from him that he wants me to believe for, I, I'm not, if it's tomorrow, that's what I would prefer. <laughs> but sometimes it's going to be months, years, many years before you actually get to see that come to fruition. But wisdom show, tells us to wait well and trust him while we wait. Praise God, would you stand with me please as we close today? I wanna invite you to the altar. As we say all the time, there's nothing, no special power up here at the altar, but there's something about responding to the word of God. There's something about responding. And we all need the wisdom, we want godly wisdom, we wanna be godly fools, okay? So if you wanna be a godly fool, come on up here this morning, let's pray for you. Never prayed for foolishness, but we'll do that today. 
because he's worthy of it. And we need more godly fools in the world, church. We need more godly fools in the church. Lots and lots and lots of them. People that are willing to walk the walk, worship when it's tough, and to wait well. I bet all of us are waiting for God for something right now. Just waiting. That's okay. He likes to make us wait. And he likes to test us while we wait. Don't kill Saul. Let God handle it in your life. Praise God. Church, let's pray together. Lord, we thank you today for your word. Lord, because we know that your word is life. Your word is truth. Your word gives life. It is what transforms our hearts. Lord, we want to be godly fools today. Today and every day. God, that we will not be conformists, but Lord, that we will live our faith the way we know that you've called us to live it. Not to stick it to people, but just the opposite, to be salt and to be light, to love people with the love of Jesus. Because God, we want, desperately want your wisdom in our lives. Your word tells us that it is supreme to go get it. So Lord, we're coming today to get it. We want that wisdom. And Lord, we know that it comes with a cost. Help us to be willing to count the cost. I pray for everybody at this altar today that you would help them to be willing to count the cost and to pay the cost that it takes to get that pick of the litter. And Lord, today we ask, Lord, we ask for the miracle that you would do the miracle in our hearts that we would be able to rejoice in being called a fool because our life is not about you, us. It's about you. It is for the sake of Christ. For, for Christ's sake, we would delight in hardships, in insults, in suffering, in being rejected. We would delight because we know when we're weak that we are strong in you because your strength comes in. God, we don't wanna limit your strength in our life. We wanna open up the doorway. We wanna open up the highway that your strength can come pouring in. So Lord, help us to be godly fools. Help us to walk the walk to worship you, God, to put our trust in you, that we would trust you more than anything we trust in this world. Anything, Lord, that nothing would be above our trust in you. Whatever has taken that place in our life, Lord, we repent. God, we ask you to forgive us. If we put money above you in our trust, God, we repent of it. Lord, help us not to love money. We know your word tells us the love of money is the root of evil. Lord, if we put our trust more in, a, in a, a spouse or a family member or a friendship, God, we repent of that. If we put more trust in our career, our education, God, we repent. We don't wanna put anything above you. Nothing belongs above you. You are high above all else. Great is your name. Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom of God. We trust in your wisdom today. Would you impart it into our lives? We are asking today because we know that you give it generously and we believe you for it. We stand in faith today and it's in Jesus' name we pray and everybody said, amen, amen. Praise God. Yes, praise the Lord. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. I, I would be remiss if I did not mention that if you're here today and you don't even know Jesus, that I'm really excited you're here because we believe wholeheartedly that this is a place where you can come and you can meet him. It's part of the mission of our church that we wanna reach people that are away from God. So if you're away from God, I wanna tell you today, the only person that can keep you away from God is you because he's always ready with open arms. You know, 
He became a fool for us. Hanging on a cross naked does, is not a good look. He, he, he took on the, the, the characteristic of foolishness for you and me, and he will continue to do that. The father running after the prodigal son was an act of foolishness, yet he does it. While the son was a long way off, the father ran to him and did everything that they would have said, that's foolish to do that. But yet that's his heart for us. So if you don't know him, there's nothing standing in your way of knowing him except you. You can get, and if you, maybe you got saved a long time ago when you were a kid in Sunday school and you've just never really walked with God, you've walked away, come back. Come back today. He welcomes with open arms every single time because that's who he is, that's his heart. He actually leaves the 99 to go get that one that ran away. And it doesn't matter how many times that one runs away, he goes and gets it. You just have to respond. So don't lose or lose this opportunity today to commit yourself to him. He promises us that when we come to him, he meets us. He will not cast anyone aside that comes to him. So let me pray for you too. Father, we just pray for those in this room, those listening online that, that are away from you, God. I pray that you would touch their heart, show them that they can trust you, that they can walk with you, that you're not angry, that you are calling them back to yourself, that they would trust you, put their faith in you for their life and for their future and for their eternity. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen, amen. Praise God. God bless you guys. Um,